those of you that are brand new, I'm Pastor Lance. Nice to meet you. Uh, I'm so glad to be spending Christmas Eve with you. Uh, we're going to be needing some Bibles. So if you have a Bible, why don't you take that out? If you don't have one, there should be one under the seat in front of you. Uh, you can take that out. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. Uh, if you need to know what page number that is, that's page 807 in the Bibles under the seat in front of you. That'll get you there real quick. You see, here at Bridgeway, we've been going through a yearly theme. We're just now wrapping up an entire year, 2019, of the year of the king. We've been talking about how Jesus is the king and that we are his kingdom. Well, I thought that it would be most fitting as we finish out the year here on this Christmas day that we would talk about the book of Matthew. Why? Because Matthew is the gospel of the kingdom. I don't know if you knew that, the gospel of the kingdom, because you had a Jewish man who was writing to other Jews to show through genealogy and proof and evidence that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was the one that they had been waiting for for thousands of years. And he showed that there was a time back in the Old Testament when they were saying that a Messiah was going to arrive and save his people. By the time we got to Jesus, Man, they were so eager to hear about kings and kingdoms, so eager to hear about saviors and lords. Well, then one day, after a period of silence, a man by the name of John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he said, the kingdom of God is near. And Jesus Christ walked up and said, the kingdom of God is here. Amen? Amen. Indeed, Jesus had come, the king, our king, has come, and he was leading a revolution of the heart. He wanted a people that were wholly his from the inside and out, so he called people to love him with all his heart. He came in unlike any other king through history, and he brought with him things that we so desperately need, like peace and love and joy. So what we're going to do is we're going to zoom in on this idea of king. And we're gonna do it in one small piece of the book of Matthew, a story you're familiar with, and that is the wise men. But what we're gonna zero in on is that the wise men represent that although it was a Messiah from the Jewish people, he was a Messiah for the world. Because we had these men traveling 400 to 700 miles by foot, just to worship a king, and they weren't Jewish at all. And it demonstrated that Jesus is the king for everybody, and that's what we're going to celebrate right now. Would you turn with me, if you haven't already, to Matthew chapter 2, page 807, Matthew chapter 2. It begins like this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, oh, let's pause. I just said a whole bunch of stuff. Right there, he just said, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, do you realize that the word in Greek shifts from infant to child? Why is that important? Because it is believed by most scholars that Jesus, at the time of the wise men's arrival, was probably one and a half to two years old. Now, the reason why that matters is that in all of our nativity scenes, we have the shepherds hanging out with the wise men. That's not a thing. 
The shepherds were immediate. The wise men were almost two years later. They were never there at the same time. But we put them in the same story so we would know all the players, right? And then it mentions that it was in the days of King Herod. Who's that guy? Well, he was a half-Jewish man that reigned over the Jews for the Roman Empire. He was known as a traitor. The Jews didn't like him. He didn't like them. And he was always paranoid that someone was going to take his throne. Well, then this happened. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, and they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now remember, Herod is the king of the Jews. For we saw his star, they said, when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Who are these guys? Who are the wise men? I mean, we refer to them as magi, but who are they? Well, most scholars believe they're from the Medo people, the Medo-Persian Empire, if you remember that in ancient history, the Mede people. Now, at this point, they were basically ancient scientists, astronomers, holy men, wealthy, influential, priestly-type guys. Are they for real? You know, Throughout the years, people kind of add a lot of stuff to Christmas, right? The Christmas story, and you're kind of like, so what's real, what's not? Are the wise men real? I mean, you go, well, I believe the Bible. All right, but let's say you don't completely agree with the Bible. You go, are these people real? Interesting, side note. Do you realize that the earliest ancient archaeological discovery of the entire birth narrative, the entire Christmas story, is found in Rome? And it's a picture on a wall. And that picture is of three kings bringing Mary and baby Jesus a present. Where's that? In Rome, there are catacombs. Y'all know what a catacomb is? It is an underground burial chamber usually used for martyrs. In Priscilla's catacombs in Rome, there are 40,000 places to put bodies. 40,000 for 40,000 martyrs. On the walls are painted pictures of historical Christian scenes. One of those, the one that's the earliest of this story, is three kings coming to Jesus. These are real men. When was that dated? Between 240 and 290 AD. That means the great-grandparents of people that lived during Jesus' day put that on the wall. That is so quick after the fact. We're not talking about thousands of years. We're not talking about multiple hundreds of years. It was 250 years after the event they put that on that wall. This is real history. All right, let's keep moving forward. What did they see? They said they came because a star got their attention. So what was that? Was it, as some people believe, constellations, planets, predominantly the king planet Jupiter, moving and shifting around through different constellations and at one moment moving in retrograde and and it was under the sign of this and this. Was it that? Or was it a supernatural phenomenon that God created just for this event? What do you think the answer is? Yes. Sure is. It's both of them. Why? Because in my opinion, He put in the stars, God knew before the beginning of time that he was going to send his one and only son. He knew when he flung the stars out there, he knew that at this very moment, 
Everything would be moving in the exact perfect place so when they looked up into the sky, there would be a sign of a king. And you go, why would God put something in the stars? Is that like a big deal to him? It's a big deal to him for one reason. That's where they were looking. How amazing is it that we serve a God that is so personal that he went to find out where they were already looking and put himself in there. Why does that matter to us? Because God is so personal with you that he will find a way to get your attention in the very things that you're interested in. God is not trying to remain hidden. He's not trying to sneak away. He's right there calling you to himself, telling you, I've come to save you. I'm here to bring you everything that your heart is longing for. And he'll find a way to come get into your space. I think that's pretty awesome. Pick it up in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where this Christ, this Messiah, was to be born. What's bugging him? There's a new king in town. You see, think about this for a moment. The idea of King Jesus is only offensive if you're already king. Think about that for a moment. Think about all the things. Let's say that there's parts of Christianity that when we read them in the Bible and we kind of get offended and we say, well, that's probably just what they thought. Why does it agitate us so much? Is it possible that we don't want to submit to King Jesus because we're already sitting on his seat? Is it possible that maybe when we're already the king of our own lives that he would be offensive? You see, if you're not a king, a king sounds awesome. But if you got everything you need, nobody needs a savior then. So sure enough, King Herod finds out that he now has someone else vying for what he thinks is his throne. Pick it up in verse 5. So they told him, meaning the wise men told him this, they said, well, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and they quote the prophet Micah, who wrote a prophecy 700 years before it came to pass. They said, quote, and you O town of Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Shepherd my people Israel. These wise men don't even live in Israel. They live hundreds of miles away. If anybody had a reason not to think this was a big deal, it was them. Why in the world do they care? They're not Jews. Why did they travel all these hundreds of miles? Why did they bring very expensive gifts? Why did they go through all the trouble just to show up and bow down before a child? Because they knew something that the rest of the world didn't seem to know, that a king of creation involves everyone. You see, even though he was the king from the Jews, he was the king of everyone. And they thought, if the king of everyone, if the king of creation, if the king of the universe shows up, I need to be there and bring him a gift. It doesn't matter my local circumstance. I know who's boss. And in my heart, I know that God is real, and I know that he has sent his one and only son. Therefore, I have to respond. It's not about whether or not 
this stream of Christianity is right or this stream of Christianity is right. It is that God is real and he sent his one and only son. And if we don't have him, we don't have anything. I do know that. Interesting. They saw right through the circumstances to the bigger picture. Let's pick it up in verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Does Herod really want to go worship Jesus? No, of course he doesn't. You see, worship means that you really, really think something is important. It means you really think someone is important. It means you change your life for them. That's what worship means. Jesus meant everything to the Magi, but nothing to King Herod. One said he wanted to worship, but was lying. The other ones were just who they were. And they said, I don't want to live a life without knowing that I came and saw the king of the world. Verse 9 after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is where I believe it shifted out of the constellations into a supernatural phenomenon that God moved his beautiful glory cloud, and as it hovered over the house, the wise men knew that's the place that we have to go. God was directing them where they needed to be. I just need you to know that God is consistently trying to get your attention. I need you to realize he is still doing the same kind of directing. He will direct you through circumstances. He'll direct you through conversations. He'll direct you through relationships. That all these different things, you may see them as random until you look backwards and hindsight all of a sudden begins to take on a pattern. And you begin to realize God's been hunting you down since the moment you were in your mother's womb. He cares that much that you're rescued. That even when you don't care about your rescue, he cares about your rescue. What I think is so fascinating is that some of us at this moment would say, all right, pastor, I hear what you're saying, but I got a problem with it. You tell me that these wise men found it and there was all this direction from God. Well, that's cool because they are the wise men, right? I'm not exactly the sharpest tool in the shed. I can't exactly look at the stars. I can't exactly figure all this stuff out. So what are you telling me? Are you telling me that I have to be the most smart, the most influential, the most famous, the most wealthy? I mean, these guys are a big deal. They found God. Great. How am I supposed to find him? Let me remind you of a fact. A year and a half before the wise men found him, he had already revealed himself to the common man. He had already revealed himself to the shepherds, the uneducated, the normal working class people. Why? Because that's Jesus's people. Jesus's people that he revealed to way before he ever talked to these famous guys, he revealed himself to guys that society had already cast out and they didn't care about and they didn't respect. God said, those are my people. God will find you. Because it doesn't matter who you are, it matters who he is. You don't have to be fancy. He's fancy enough for the both of you, right? Jesus is the king of everyone. That's kind of how it works. All right, let's pick it up in verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. 
Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. First thing that stuns me about this scene is what? You have grown men of wealth and influence falling down before a toddler. That's weird, right? Now, it'd be one thing if it was like the movies and you had some weird, creepy toddler baby going, come in, gentlemen. Come bow down at my feet. I talk in a very deep voice for no reason, right? I mean, that'd be one thing. But he was just a normal kid. He's a normal toddler. I mean, he's picking his nose, doing his own thing, and they come in. And you know that all kids, especially at Christmas time, all kids, if you walk in and you're a stranger, they want to look at your hands like, you got a gift for me? If you don't got a gift, I'm out, right? So they're checking these guys' hands. Well, thankfully, they have gifts. But can we all agree those are lame gifts for a toddler? <laughs> right? What are they supposed to do with gold? Right? They're like, it's shiny, I'll give you that, everything else, stupid. Then, they don't even know what frankincense is, and they're not going to touch myrrh. We don't even know what myrrh is. Those are lame gifts for a kid. would have been sweet if it would have been like slingshot, tonka truck, rope. You know what I mean? Like, that would have been cool if they would have brought those. And they fall down. Clearly, pride is not a problem for these guys. Why? Because they saw it as entirely appropriate. What are they seeing that many times we're not seeing? Please don't let pride ever stop you from getting close to God. You see, there's this attitude, I think, that we all have inside our hearts where we don't like being duped, we don't like falling for something stupid, and so we're suspicious and we have our guard up about everything. And then somehow along the way, we've been taught by our culture that we are the smartest, that we know best for ourselves. I'll be the first one to admit, a lot of my ideas are stupid. Thank you for confirming that, praise the Lord. <laughs> Please don't let pride stop you from finding your Lord. Here's the other thing that is interesting to me. They could have been derailed by the whole Herod thing. They could have been derailed by a lot of things. So let me, let me just be honest with you. Not everybody here comes in from a religious background. Not everybody here comes in from a Christian-friendly background, to be honest with you. So I want to talk to you for a moment. When you walk in here, maybe somebody forced you to be here. Maybe you're here out of obligation for the family. Maybe... You're not quite sure about the whole Christianity thing, but you know deep down in your heart that God is real. Now, you can't talk about that because if you talk about that, the Christians are going to jump all over it and they're going to try to take advantage of that. I get it. So you're pretty quiet about it, but deep inside, you know that we are not alone here in this universe. You know that the whole design around you is not by accident. You know there's a God and you know that he has something to say to you. As a matter of fact, throughout your life, you've wondered whether or not if Jesus is truly who the Bible says he is. But there's one big problem. Me. The church. Maybe the church has been your problem. Maybe you go, I would love to get into God. I would love to get into Jesus. I would love to find out how to be spiritually alive because I know there's more to me. I would love to get into all that, but I'm not sure what to do with the religious institution of church. It freaks me out, and I don't know how to handle it. They say weird things. They do weird things. They believe weird things, and, and I don't think they agree with me on pretty much anything. 
Let me just give you a real quick encouragement. Please don't let God's followers stop you from finding God. Because he's your king too. Let's say I'm doing it wrong. Let's say as a Christian, I'm not handling everything right. Don't you think you still need God? Don't let me wreck it. I desperately want everyone to meet God face to face. And I don't want to be the problem on why you don't. So whatever's going on in your life right now, whether it's family, friends, just people in society, find your way to God. Find your way to Jesus Christ. And don't let us stop you. Amen? Amen. Let's keep moving forward. They brought gifts to this king. Why? Because that's what you do. Man, he's a king. He's the ruler of the universe. He's the one that caused all things to be. He's the one that spoke the world into existence. He's the very fabric of reality. What do you do? You bring him a gift. That's what happens. So what gifts do we bring Jesus? What are you going to bring him this Christmas season, right? It's his birthday. Don't you usually bring presents to the one who it's their birthday? And yet, on his birthday, we're all taking his stuff. That's weird. So what are we going to give him? You're like, well, dude, he has everything. Of course he has everything. How, what do you give a guy who has everything? Well, let me tell you. I have some ideas. I have Jesus' wish list. This is great. This is like his most wanted. This is awesome. You ready? This is what I think he wants for Christmas. I could be wrong, but let's see. What if we gave him our time? In my world, I don't have a lot of money, but I got even less time. To me, time is the most precious commodity that I have. I have a lot of people vying for my time, including my own family. And I'm trying to divide myself out because I live in a world where I know a lot of people. And so to me, my time is precious because I also need regeneration time. I need what my family calls introvert time. Now, I'm an extrovert, but after all years of being in ministry, I've now been here over 22 years, I'm an introvert now. <laughs> my time is precious. And a lot of times, God gets my leftovers because I'm pretty, pretty, pretty thrashed, pretty worn out. But what if this Christmas season, what if in 2020, I began to give him my time as something precious? What if I began to redesign my calendar so I actually had daily time that was a personal date time with him, and it wasn't just what was left over at the end of the day? Here's another one that I think is on his list. What if we gave him veto power over our decisions? Right? That'd be a sweet gift to give him. Because a lot of times we go through our lives and we just make decisions. We're not checking in with anybody. And then we say, God, bless it. Right? God, I want to buy that. Bless it. Right? And he's like, well, I think that's a dumb idea. What if we gave him veto power that we would actually check in with him and we actually cared if he said, you know what, I don't think that's a wise idea. Many times we don't want to ask God's opinion because we're afraid he doesn't like what we like. But let me give you an encouragement. You never have to fear handing over to God because he's more interested in your best than you are. He's more interested in your health and vitality and strength and joy and happiness than you are. So you can always hand over to God and know that you will not leave with less, you'll leave with more. It may not be the same, but it's better, right? Here's another thing. What if we gave God access to our resources to use as he wanted? 
And what I mean by that is, let's say, for example, your neighbor has a need. Can he use your wallet to get there? Because otherwise, he has to do what? Like a supernatural miracle where he just makes up money. Shouldn't he be able to tap on a Christian and go, hey, can you kick that down? That'd be great. That's why I gave it to you. What if we gave him access to our resources? Here's another gift. What if we gave him our dreams, hopes, and desires? What if he was part of our future planning? That would be awesome. What if we gave him our attention and our thought life so that throughout the day, we were checking in with him and he was always on our mind? What would 2020 look like if we did it that way? Bottom line is, he wants our hearts. And if he has our hearts, he can get everything else thrown in. Amen? So here's the deal. When we titled this sermon, when we titled this talk for Christmas, it was very important to our group that it was called Our King Has Come because he's everyone's king. When Jesus Christ came into Jerusalem, when he came in as their king, the king of the Jews, we call it in the Bible the triumphal entry. Normally in the Roman Empire, mighty victors would ride in on these big horses and massive chariots and they would bring spoils of war and they had pomp and circumstance and music playing and they would come in being a big deal. Jesus said, I'll take that small donkey and nothing else and rolled in humble. And he said, I'm not like those guys. I'm not like any other leader you've ever met. You see, I'm interested in your best. I'm interested in lifting you up. You're the one that needs saving. I don't need anything from you. I am here to bring you peace. I'm here to bring you love. I'm here to bring you alive spiritually. I'm here to reconnect you with God because that got broken a long time ago. I'm here to make your life full in a way that you never imagined. And so here I come with a humble offer to you. Sure, one day I'm going to come back and everybody's going to realize who I am. But for right now, I'm going to tell you this, humble offer, do you love me? Will you follow me? I want you to want it. I'm not here to press it on you. Do you remember when Pilate tried to press Jesus onto the religious leaders that didn't want him? He said, behold, king of the Jews. And they shouted what? Crucify. We don't want him. Get rid of him. I'm not here to pressure you into anything. God's not here to pressure you into anything. He's here to offer you new life. Hmm. At the end of this service, we're going to play one more song. And at the end of this service, we're going to have a prayer team up here. They know how to tell you to start a new walk with Jesus as king. Maybe that's, this is the time. Maybe today is the day of your salvation. Maybe today is the time you're going to walk out of here feeling light as air. Maybe today you start over again. Maybe today forgiveness is real. Maybe today you start a new reality of mercy and grace as your new real. I don't know. Maybe you have a need. Maybe there's something that you're coming in burdened with. Sometimes on the holiday season, things are a little bit heavy on our shoulders. It would be nice to leave here lighter. That's why the prayer team is going to be here. But what I am certain of is that before we all leave, I want to make sure everybody is prayed over and everybody is blessed. Amen? Can I do that? Can I just pray over you before we get out of here? Right on. Let's do that. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you, King Jesus, for riding in in such a gentle way. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the way that you do things and you're so patient with us. I love the fact, God, that you chase us down, that you enter into our world and reveal yourself in ways that make sense to us. God, with all my friends and family that have gathered here, that are watching online, that are listening to this later, Lord, you drew them here for one reason, and to, that is to wow them with your love and kindness. Lord, would you bless them for coming? Would you bless them for seeking you? You said if we seek you with everything we have, we will find you. So, Lord, right here, right now, while we can still think clearly, would you, Holy Spirit, wash us afresh? That we would walk out of here in power, walk out of here in strength, walk out of here brand new and ready to go for the new year. We ask this in the powerful and precious name of Jesus. Amen.